Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter, guys. This is episode 71 of the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. I've got a familiar face who hasn't been on the set with me in quite some time. This is my former co-host and executive publisher of Freight Waves, Mr. Kevin Hill. Kevin, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. We've got a jam-packed show. We're going to have a guest in the back half of the show. His name is Richard Metzler. He's the president and CEO of LSO, which is Landstar Overnight. They are a regional parcel carrier based in Austin, Texas. They cover the Texas market, most of Oklahoma. They do some in Louisiana and Arkansas as well, but they are expanding rapidly. We're going to discuss you know, what's going on in the parcel industry right now? We keep seeing peak surcharges added from UPS and FedEx. We're hearing things of poor service on the B2B side. Uh, you know, maybe FedEx and UPS prioritizing the, the, the B2C customers and leaving some of the B2B customers out to dry. So we're going to talk to Mr. Metzler about the situation at Landstar and learn a little bit more about the regional parcel industry because I actually don't know much about it. So I am excited to learn more about that. But before we get going uh, into, we've got one buy or sell, and I've got a few you care or nas as well as two charts of the day. I did want to take a moment to thank my sponsor, DDC FPO. This episode is brought to you by DDC FPO. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight, perhaps best known for freight billing. DDC recently launched IT outsourcing to help supply chain stakeholders hit development milestones without risking financial performance. Learn more at ddcfpo.com. All right, Kevin, I've got two charts of the day for you. The first one here is, of course, from Bank of America, the best consumer spending data in the country. This is great news for freight market participants, for the general economy. What you're seeing here is the mix of durable goods versus services spending in two of the nation's largest economies, largest states, Florida and California. California, there in light blue, Florida in dark blue. Uh, the perforated lines are the services spending and solid lines are durable goods spending. What you basically see is that the California services has recovered. It's now above uh, 2019 levels in the state, but durable goods, uh, durable goods demand has remained really strong in California. The same has, can be said for, for Florida. The point that I'm trying to make here between these two states is they are at vastly different paces of reopening. Florida has been open for months now, California just now reopening. So you're seeing that service spend come back slower in California, but it's not coming at the detriment of durable goods demand. That is an amazing sign for freight markets and an amazing sign for the broader economy. Okay, uh, Kevin, you have any thoughts on that chart, by the way? I know it's good to see California uh, coming, uh, you know, getting open and services really, really pumping up. I will say that that services line will climb a little bit higher over yeah. this weekend into next week because I am headed to Palm Springs uh, <laughs> on Saturday to, to, to go play a little golf and, and and buy some food, eat out at restaurants. So that will take a little bit higher with me. See, I thought you were going to say that this this opening weekend, I think it's the first weekend that they're going full capacity at Disney World. So I thought that's where you were going. But no, no. Kevin, Kevin Hill is going to do it uh, by himself in the world's seventh largest economy. He's going to pick that service spending up by himself this weekend. I, I love it. Uh, okay, we got one more. Uh, this one is from the Federal Reserve Database. This is pallet prices, okay? This is uh, pallet prices for wood and mixed, um, mixed product pallets. This is an effect of e-commerce uh, consumption rising so quickly and you know, CPG companies and retailers trying to stock up and keep some buffer inventory holding on to pallets a little bit longer. It's also a factor of lumber prices being up so high. Uh, it's a factor of trucking capacity being so tight and not being able to reposition pallets and that rising costs as well. 
All in all, uh, there are some industry sources that are citing the price of wooden pallets are up 400% year over year, and sawmills are really constrained. And you know, right now, because the wood supply is so low and lumber prices are so high, pallet manufacturers are having to compete with home manufacturers uh, for wood, which is not people you want to be competing with if you're making pallets. And so it's just it's just a not, not good situation going on with the pallets, and there's not all that many uh, catalysts for more supply coming online in the near future. So something to watch here in the freight industry that is uh, pallet prices. So that's the two charts of the day. Thanks for taking the time to do that with me. All right, Kevin, I've got buy or sell. You actually haven't done this one with me. I think this is a new uh, segment since the last time you hosted with me. This is pretty simple. I'm going to give you a statement or a rumor, mm-hmm. something I've heard. You tell me whether you're buying or selling it and why. All right, so this is the... F-150 Lightning, the brand new uh, all-electric pickup truck that Ford unveiled last week. The F-150 Lightning versus Cybertruck reservations uh, in the few days after the release. Because both of the CEOs are tweeting updates post-launch and because both companies have offered the same $100 fully refundable reservation, uh, this is relatively comparable, I think. So we can look at it. Within the first 48 hours, Ford CEO Jim Fairley tweeted that they had received 45,000 reservations. Very impressive except when you compare it to two days post-Cybertruck launch when Elon had tweeted that Tesla had received 150,000 reservations. He eventually tweeted uh, after six days that they had received a quarter million reservations. We're still waiting on updates from Farley, uh, but that is the, the, the chart there that I was wanting to show you. Kevin, red and Tesla blue in F-150 Lightning. You buying or selling that Tesla reservations are four or five X where F-150 Lightning reservations are? You know, I'm buying that they probably are. That they probably are four or five times X or four or five X what Ford is. I'm selling if it means anything or not. I don't think it really means a thing. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I think Tesla brings in a lot of the, the fans, right? The, the fanatics, uh, the, the people who are wanting part of that, that community, and that is going to push in or push up the, those order numbers. Uh, Ford, you know, the Ford pickup truck, whether you like it or not, it's the number one seller year in, year out, you know, so it's not going to create as much of a buzz as Elon Musk can do on his own. But I, I still don't know when the, the first delivery date for a Cybertruck is. Yeah, probably early 2022. Uh, will this, Ford beat them uh, to, to the first no, truck I don't, on the market? I, I don't think so. Uh, okay. I don't think they will, but uh, but they'll beat them. They'll beat them on volume for sure. Uh, and, that, and that's the reason that I uh, am. I'm also literally on the exact same page. I am buying that the reservations are much higher. I am selling whether it matters because I also think about the how how the companies are um, constrained. Tesla is going to be very constrained making these Cybertrucks. They're making a brand new product. They're they're buying 10,000 pounds or 10,000 ton casting iron machines to make them. It's going to be very difficult to make them. The F-150 is built on a very similar system that it's been built on for 100 years. The the volume there is going to be much higher. So you don't really need to have a reservation for it. They're going to be available uh, when they come out. So yeah, I'm buying, but it's not really that important. Okay, let's get on to you care or not. We've got uh, three quick ones here. The first one is on Peloton. Peloton is has announced that it will invest $400 million in its first U.S. manufacturing facility in the U.S. That is notwithstanding the two facilities that they bought from Precore that they are currently trying to refurbish and uh, get them online in the back half of this year. But they're going to build their first one, $400 million, just south of Toledo, going to be a million square foot, going to have 2,000 jobs in the area. You care or not? I, I do care. You know, I mean... Peloton is, is manufacturing in the U.S., which is really great. I mean, I, I guess this is a, maybe a knee-jerk reaction whenever you start having to uh, load Peloton bikes onto air charters and, and fly them in from Asia. That's pretty expensive. I mean, maybe it's more expensive than to do that and to have that risk of your supply chain than it is to, to invest in manufacturing close at home. Real estate is always good to have, too. 
Yeah, I am 100% with you. I love this. I think the, the further away we get from this recall, the more it's going to look like a blip on their radar. Um, they, uh, you know, they've, they've been manufacturing most of their stuff in Taiwan, and they, they really kind of erode some geopolitical risk here, not having to ship some in. You remember back, I think it was in November, they announced that they were going to invest $100 million in, into their supply chain. More or less, they were just spending $100 million to air flight their stuff in. Think about this. They're only paying four times as much as that in a long-term investment that's going to give them manufacturing capacity for decades, going to be able to build all of their products right now, plus more products into the future. I think it's a good move. I, like I, I do too, because that's, that's real investment. Uh, $100 million exactly. you spend on air charters to, to fly in. Uh, Pelotons is not, I wouldn't call that an investment. That's, that's an expense on the income sheet. Yes, uh, absolutely. Okay, let's get on to number two. This is Authentic Brands Group. Uh, this is a firm that's been on a tear buying up bankrupt retail properties, in part uh, in a joint venture with Simon Properties. They are looking with or potential advisors rather on a potential IPO that could come as early as this year, according to a Bloomberg report that cited anonymous sources. Kevin, you care or not about ABG possibly going public? I, I do. I, I love the business model. This is drop shipping on a massive scale. That's all it is. It's, it's all these Shopify ads getting people into drop shipping where you're selling a product and it's delivering from somebody else and when else is manufacturing, you're basically outsourcing everything uh, kind of based on the four-hour work week, uh, that, that whole book. Uh, but, but this is just that at scale. And, you know, you're outsourcing everything. You're just marketing the product. I love the business model. I knew you would. That's why I brought this up. This is your type of business. This company literally just buys up uh, once very prominent retail brands. The likes of last year, they bought uh, Lucky Brand. They bought Brooks Brothers, Forever 21. This year, they bought Eddie Bauer. They bought Barney's and Nine West in the, in the past. They bought these for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. They literally just uh, market it. They license out the, uh, all the manufacturing, all the retailing, and then they sale, lease back all the valuable properties, and they just squeeze every, every, pinch, uh, every penny left in that company. Uh, and it's very profitable. It's a highly profitable is, business. It's like owning all these seven or eight uh, retail department stores or former retail department stores and brands and maybe running out of office where you have 20 people who are actually employed by yeah. you. Everything else is outsourced. Outsourced the, the, the manufacturing, the design, everything. I, I just, I love that business model. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good business. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's probably going to be the ticker ABG sometime later this year. Okay, last one. This one's on FedEx. I know our guest, uh, Dick Metzler, is going to have some thoughts on this, so we'll bring him in here in a moment. But FedEx will increase three peak surcharges on express and ground shipments beginning June 21st. Affected surcharges include the additional handling surcharge, a residential delivery surcharge, and a peak surcharge on ground economy. Kevin, you care or not? Yeah, I, I, you always have to, to care about surcharges when it comes to parcel, right? Because that's kind of a bellwether of surcharges coming into the economy. I, I know back in the, the, the day when fuel prices were, were crazy, uh, the fuel surcharge, uh, you know, fuel surcharges really dictated what the, the capacity was going to be. So uh, these, these surcharges, uh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I do care about this one as well. Sorry, I, I got three today that I care about all three of them. But... Um, I do care about this one because it's a very significant bump. They are raising the uh, surcharge on, on residential, the peak residential, from 30 cents to 60 cents per package. So doubling the surcharge for, you know, digitally native online brands that ship a lot through UPS or through FedEx, rather, that is expensive. And that's going to add up and it's going to hit the bottom line. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have to care about this one. And let's bring in uh, Mr. Metzler here because I'm sure he has some thoughts on these FedEx peak surcharges. He had a post on LinkedIn, I think it was yesterday or the day before, talking about it. 
Uh, Dick, thanks for joining the show. Welcome. And uh, let's talk a little bit about these surcharges. What are your feelings on, uh, on I guess it's Christmas in June, it seems. <laughs> yeah, Christmas in June. It's, uh, it's wild uh, that peak season surcharge start this, uh, this early this year. We haven't decided what we're going to do yet, but I'm not going to start it in June. I mean, that's it's just uh, just seems at odds with everything that um, I, I mean, how do you justify it? How do, how do you really justify that it's peak season in June? Uh, you know, pretty soon they'll have surcharges for Groundhog Day and, you know, for <laughs> things with sharp ends. And, uh, you know, the every other Thursday surcharge that continues until further notice surcharge, I, I think will come next. I'm joking, but look, they're doing the right thing for their shareholders. I mean, as was commented during the show, you know, that uh, they're, they're doing extremely well. So is so is UPS. Uh, the question is, uh, do they have a day of reckoning coming? Not so much from the regionals, because we're five to seven percent of the market, depending on whose numbers you like, but more from uh, Amazon. When I don't think it's a question if, but when Amazon gets into direct competition with FedEx and UPS, uh, that becomes a different story. Yeah, let's come back to Amazon because that's something that I've been writing about uh, in a lot in the last few weeks. I mean, Amazon makes up 13% of UPS revenue. They're spending uh, CapEx four times as much every year, uh, building out that logistics infrastructure. But I want to jump back to a, a comment you made about the 5 to 7% of the market because that is one of the questions I had was, you know, how big is the regional parcel um, market? And, you know, you said that UPS and FedEx are doing very well. Obviously, they're doing their best for their shareholders right now. How is it going in the regional uh, and the smaller guys? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the regional market is a good time to be in the regional parcel market, too. I mean, that um, there's been a lot of customers that we've gained where FedEx and UPS either capped them last year or uh, raised their prices significantly uh, or just, you know, uh, asked them to get rid of a certain percentage of their volume. There was one customer that I know of that was with UPS for 30 years. And right before peak last year, asked them to get rid of 30% of their volume and didn't do it very politely. And, and so, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, memories are long. And I think FedEx and UPS have created a visceral reaction. You know, I talked to people who said, if we could figure out a way to punish FedEx and UPS for what they did in 2020, we would, but they can't. So it's, uh, that's just the reality. So, so we you part LSO is a regional uh, parcel. Uh, can you give a, our audience a little bit uh, background uh, about LSO and the, the region that you cover and what you're seeing right now in the market? Sure, Kevin. Uh, real quick, uh, LSO Lone Star Overnight been around for 30 years, but really in the last three years we've refocused our attention on e-commerce and rebuilt the company from the ground up uh, around e-commerce. But uh, you know, when people ask me you know, why should anybody use a regional carrier, including LSO, instead of the big guys? To me, there's three key reasons. One, better service. And we can document it. And there's third parties that you can go to or credible sources that can substantiate that. Uh, significant savings, oftentimes double digit, even with the larger clients. And third is that we're a lot easier to deal with. You know, we're a lot more inclined to do it the shipper's way versus the other way around. So, you know, the, but we have been growing uh, rapidly, especially since 2019. Uh, we've signed up, a after we rebuilt the business, we signed up 
a lot of name brand e-commerce retailers added more to it in 2020 and then COVID hit and it was like an afterburner, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of our growth. And in the middle of that, we sold the company as well to an investor who's really helped us to grow significantly, has put a lot of money to work this year in terms of sorting facilities and uh, technology to allow us to catch all this e-commerce volume that's coming our way. Hey, Richard, I wanted to uh, jump back to, uh, you know, some of these customers that you guys are, are catching and, and getting from, you know, that have been left behind by UPS or FedEx. Are there any are there any broad strokes to paint on what types of companies that they are, are excluding or is it just kind of random and it, and it depends on their volume and, and where they're located? Yeah, I'd say that just because such a significant part of e-commerce that apparel uh, is definitely a, a key sector for us, uh, things like cosmetics, uh, you know, some healthcare, um, you know, the uh, some home goods, things of that nature. So you think it's more of just uh, the things that people were buying more of online? That's what you guys have seen more demand for over the past year? Home goods, uh, you know, cosmetics, exercise equipment? Yeah, it's it's all those uh, types of things. And, and I don't think that um, uh, those things are going to go away or significantly deteriorate as, as the economy opens up due to COVID problem being solved, which is obviously a good thing. So, uh, Rick, I, I want to talk about kind of long term um, with just structural changes that have occurred or may occur from e-commerce. Like we did, we we saw the retail e- the retail e-commerce data came in for April and it was flat from March. So, you know, no real change, but still significantly up over last year. I just wanted to ask, you know, for retailers that are you know moving towards more direct to consumer um, sales or are doing just more online sales in general. Do you think long term that the shipping costs are just naturally going to be higher as people break down from full truckload and send more parcels? Is that just going to be part of it? And you just basically have that trade off where you get higher margin, but you're going to pay higher transportation costs? If if there were no Amazon, I'd say the answer is yes, it continues as is. Uh, That could be, you know, the big give back back for FedEx and UPS when that happens. Kevin? Yeah, so so we were seeing a lot of we showed a chart there on lumber and, and and pallet pricing. There's inflationary pressures all through the economy right now. How do you think that's going to uh, affect uh, you know parcel e-commerce demand and the, the shipment of goods? Uh, do you see inflationary pressures continuing, rising, or hitting uh, a peak at some point future, uh, soon? One thing, Kevin, I'll mention. I was going to mention this before is. I'm on the board of a company called IGPS Logistics, which is in the plastic pallet pulling business. So it's a good time to be in that business, yeah. uh, given what's going on with uh, with lumber. But you know, the I, I think it's hard to uh, envision that inflation is not going to rear its head to some meaningful degree. You know, uh, labor is you know our key lineup. You know, related to our master contractors. And that's our uh, primary cost of doing business. And it just is in this industry. So I, I think um, everything is going to inflate. And at the same time, uh, uh, the volume uh, that we have to carry and the efficiency with which we have to do it, which means through more automation, is everybody is reaching for. There's a lot of things that are real out there, but there's things that aren't. You know, I, I don't see my 3432 chinos getting delivered by a drone, at least not in my lifetime, which is the only thing I care about. 
but uh, kidding. But uh, uh, but at the same time, there's valid use cases for things uh, things like drones and for autonomous, even parcel delivery vehicles. I think there's very specific use cases. It's not a question of if; it's a question of when. Hey, Richard, I, I had a question. You know, when you guys are thinking about not only you but other you know smaller regional uh, parcel carriers, how do you guys look at technologies like drones and electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles? Does that you know, do you look at that as, um, you know, a dream or is that something that could be achievable to, you know, companies of your scale in the near future? I mean, I'm, I'm going to wait and not be on the bleeding edge of those technologies. And as they get perfected and as they become more widely accepted, we, we're watching those trends closely, but uh, it's not a primary focus. Primary focus is delivering parcels the old-fashioned way, if you will, in terms of picking them up, moving them, and delivering them. You know, it's, it's just that simple. And that takes people, process, and technology, you know, to really do that. How about on the software side? You know, Andrew mentioned, uh, you know, autonomous and, and drones, a lot of hardware and, and transportation. What about on the software side and, and driving efficiencies or driving efficiencies in, in, in regional uh, players? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, the, uh, we've partnered with Bring Technology for our operating dispatch optimization and open force in terms of helping us onboard, especially POVs, personally owned vehicles. And if we did not have those two, uh, I'll go as far as to say Lone Star uh, uh, overnight would not exist. And, and we would have almost drowned our own growth if it hadn't been for those two partners. They've been They've been great to us. Richard, can you just tell me a little bit about uh, the model at LSO? Are you guys uh, contracting out your delivery drivers or are they employees of the company? How does that work out? You know, it's, it's very similar to the FedEx ISP model or the Amazon DSP model, where we've got master contractors that may have an average of eight to nine trucks uh, on the road at any given point in time. And uh, so it's a very similar model. They fly our, our colors and uh, uniforms use our systems and processes, but they they manage the business day in and day out against the specifications in our agreement with them. Actually, give, give us a breakdown of the reasons you run in Oklahoma, Texas, and a, a few other states, right? And, and the terminals that you have and, and kind of the philosophy of terminals that, that you guys uh, operate on. Yeah, uh, Texas and Oklahoma primarily uh, some of the eastern part of New Mexico, uh, some of the northwestern part of Louisiana, think Shreveport, and uh, Lake Charles. And as I said, we're expanding into most of Louisiana and uh, also into Arkansas and Missouri. Uh, those will get done and opened for business in uh, by September. Speaking of expansion, I, I just want to jump back to one point on, on Amazon and the way that they are investing, uh, the way that they are coming for this parcel and trying to take as much of their uh, logistics network as possible. You know, should FedEx and UPS be adding capacity, adding better service right now? It seems that uh, when I listened to the UPS call, Carol Tomei, CEO Carol Tomei, said that they are going to invest $4 billion in CapEx this year, but in very um, capital, in less not capital intensive ways. So it's a lot of billing and back office uh, type of technologies. Do you think they should be adding adding trucks, adding service to try to compete, or, or or are they doing what they should be? Well, I think they're making hay while the sun shines and and uh, taking full advantage of the marketplace. Uh, you know, the we look we have surcharges too, but not nearly to the degree. 
and and the rates aren't nearly as high in many cases. You know, so uh, you know, Carol believes in uh, better, not bigger. I don't know why not better and bigger. You know, uh, why not do that? But uh, it, clearly, they're gravitating more towards uh, that type of efficiency. I, I mean, if I were sitting in Atlanta or Memphis, my wake up in the middle of the night screaming issue is when Amazon is coming. You know, the, I think there'll still be plenty of room for all the regionals at that point for uh, filling the gaps where the big guys don't. And that's a big part of our value proposition today. I don't see it going away. And Richard, can you talk a little bit about your value proposition? I mean, what kind of services are you guys running? Is it overnight, two-day? You know, what, what types of services you run? It's all the same services as FedEx and UPS uh, we, uh, within, our, within our region. We're right. just a mini version of FedEx or UPS. Got it. Understood. Kevin, you have anything? Uh, yeah, so so the mix shift we were talking about it. We 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 talk about it all the time, Andrew and I. The mix shift uh, between services and durables. We saw a little bit in California on a, on a chart that we just did uh, threw up at the beginning of the show. When it comes to, to, to your forecast for the next twelve to eighteen months, uh, what, what do you see on the mix shift back to services and how that might affect freight demand? Yeah, um, you know, I think freight demand is going to continue to be strong. I mean, we're projecting seventy percent growth on a very strong year before uh, for this year. And uh, I don't see it slowing down in, in, uh, in to any meaningful degree. Is it going to accelerate the same rate we saw in 2020? Yeah, I don't think so. But that doesn't mean that it isn't going to be a high growth environment uh, for trucking and, uh, you know, uh, look at what's happened with ocean freight and things of that nature. I'm you know, I've had some time in both those sectors. And so the, uh, I, I think the demand for direct-to-consumer is going to get nothing but stronger. Retail is going to rebound, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that's uh, the demand is going to be uh, continue to be high, just not as high. Yeah, I agree with you on direct-to-consumer uh, for sure. I also want to talk about, you know, some of the new fulfillment methods, whether it be, you know, BOPIS and, and buy online pickup in store and buy online pick up at curbside, but really the big one here is ship from store. We're having uh, Target and Walmart and all of the best in class retailers, Best Buy, also leveraging this model to a, a big degree, shipping more than 50% of their online orders from store. I wanted to know, you know, are you guys building in, that into your network? Do you also pick up some parcels from stores? How does that work out for you guys? Yeah, we do. We like, we like ship from store. I, I mean, we have uh, stores that during peak season did 2,000 packages and it's a tough, model to scale, you know, um, when it's all said and done. Now, I think uh, some of the names that you mentioned in terms of Target or Dick's have invested in material handling to put in the stores and move the walls, you know, back to accommodate that. That's a different story. That becomes more scalable, but it's still nowhere near the cost to fulfill in a high-speed, highly automated uh, regional fulfillment center. Yeah, it's crazy to me the numbers that we get from Target. You know, their their CEO and CFO, and and uh, they always talk about how for them uh, the the difference in cost from shipping from a uh, shipping from a fulfillment center and doing ship from store, or or rather having somebody pick up in store, they have these forty percent cheaper for them to have somebody come to the store and pick up than it is uh, for them to ship from the fulfillment, simply because of that last mile cost. Being able to eliminate that last mile saves them thirty forty. Uh, Mr. Metzler, I apologize, but I've got to wrap this up. We are coming up on the end of my show. But I do want to give you a moment uh, to tell anybody in the audience where to go if they want some more information on LSO. Yeah, sure. Uh, just 
uh, go to rmetzler at lso.com or uh, ring me at 510-719-8380. But thanks, Andrew and Kevin. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, we, we appreciate you coming on and giving us some insights, learning a little bit about regional parcel carriers. Thank you so much. Thank we'll you. talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. That was interesting. I mean, it, yeah. you know, because I think, I guess I hadn't really conceptualized it yet that there are companies that run FedEx model, UPS model, but in one state or in mm -hmm. three states and do it really well. And they're able to focus in on a niche area. Like we, we talk about this all the time. Niches are where the riches. That is like one of the things you yeah. taught me, right? And we don't think about it on a logistical scale, but I guess it is possible. And as Dick just said, you know, they do it. It is. It's all about density of network, you know, in full right. truckload, especially in LTL too. So you keep that, you keep your region uh, smaller, right? In your niche, and you can really pack in the density. Right. I like it. Good stuff from Mr. Metzler. All right. That has been all we've had today for episode 71 of Great Quarter Guys. We are back live next week, same time, three o'clock Eastern. If you watch live, thanks for joining us. If you are watching on demand, subscribe to, point, uh, subscribe to Great Quarter Guys wherever you listen to podcasts or subscribe to Freightcast. See you next week. <laughs>